only 2% of millennials have a biblical worldview, according to a recent survey. And with the president and first lady testing positive for coronavirus, let's talk about COVID-19 and the fear of death. We are here in Texas, ready for the 511 News. Now there are two kinds of people in the world, only two kinds, not black and white, not rich and poor. There are those who are dead in sin and there are those who are dead to sin. After three nights of unbridled lawlessness across London, the contagion is spreading. The problem is that God has already judged this. He has judged murder already. I don't need to question it. I don't need to ask and wonder what his plan is. We're commanded as Christians not to participate in the works of darkness, but expose them. Welcome back to the 511 News. I'm your host, Chad Davidson of Good Fight Ministries. And on today's episode, as you can see, I am in Texas. Maybe you don't know I'm in Texas from this video, but yes, that's exactly where I am. I am in Texas, and in fact, it's uh, not as much noise as we had here earlier because our mission team is all in bed. It is roughly in Texas, almost 2 a.m., and so we did a lot of mission work. So I wanted to talk to you guys about that before I get into some of the subjects we're going to be talking about because I'm here with a bunch of millennials, and we're going to be talking about this 2% that supposedly have a biblical worldview according to a recent Barna study. But before we get into that, I want to talk about some of the praise reports and some of the things that we have going on here. By the way, if you are in Texas, and praise God, I've looked at the numbers. We have a lot of 511 News listeners in Texas, and I praise God for each and every one of you guys. And I've been so blessed by so many families I've already met out here. And I would love to meet you, the team that I have here with me. There's 17 of us, and I would love for you to meet all of us as we've been going out sharing the gospel in San Antonio and Bulverde, and I believe it's called Bernie. Um, and we've been out here sharing, and we would love to meet you guys. And we actually have the next two days. That means tonight as well as tomorrow night, you can actually come and hear our conference for free. We don't charge for these things because we want people to share the gospel. We want people to know how to share the gospel. So the first thing we're going to do tonight, if you come and you can go to these details at blessedhopetexas.org and I'll put a link in the description here so you guys can check it out. But I would love for you guys to check out our conference because it is a two-day evangelism conference and I'm not only going to be teaching here for the people in Bulverde, but we're also going to be teaching alongside my brother in Christ Nico tomorrow and my brother in Christ Travis on Saturday. We are going to be teaching about evangelism, how to evangelize, why we evangelize, and I would love for you guys to be a part of it. So if you're in Texas, anywhere near, please come on over, down, or in or all around to Bulverde, Texas to come hear us speak. So with all that, I want to tell you a couple of awesome stories that have happened here while we've been in Texas. Today, we actually had three different visitors that came to just have some dinner with us and a little bit of fellowship, worship, and then a testimony from our brother in Christ, Nathan, who told of how he came to the Lord. 
and it was an awesome time and three of the ladies that showed up were people that we witnessed to out on the streets those will be some radical testimonies that we'll probably tell later so i don't want to bury that just yet but hopefully you guys get to check that out but something else we've been doing is sharing down on the streets of san antonio and you should see some pictures here in a second where we're down right on the alamo talking with not people that believe all sorts of things and we actually got to share with a number of Mormons who were out on the street. There were about, we looked over right at the Alamo and there were about 40 Mormons sitting there ready to head out to do some quote-unquote mission work. I would say the mission is not one that is good and it actually is impossible. But um, the fact is, is that we had a number of Mormons going out and they were actually going out in threes. And you might notice that typically when they come to your door, they come in twos. But in this instance, we were told that they were going in threes because two of them were, would be on their first day ever going out to do mission work. And it just so happens that they ran into us. And so we were able to share with them a number of different things. We also shared with them Adam's Road Ministry. They can check out some testimonies. And we also told them some of the things that one of the some of the reasons that Mormonism is wrong. Stuff like Second Nephi 25-23 contradicting Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 when it comes to our salvation being by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. And in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 2 Nephi 25-23 saying you're saved by grace through faith after all you can do we have a contradiction so what is the reason we believe in the Bible versus the Book of Mormon I also believe that Joseph Smith is a false prophet he said that there was basically no church left on the earth that the church was prevailed against and it was he was needed to restore that church in 1820 and make a new priesthood and develop the Latter-day Saint prophets and so what would happen is that would mean that Jesus is a false prophet if you're a Mormon because Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18 that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So either Jesus is a false prophet or Joseph Smith is. And there's no if about it. Jesus is not a false prophet, but Joseph Smith is. And we love um, our friends. Uh, we love people that have fallen for that deception and we want to share the truth with people because they're in deception and that's why we're out here. Not only for Mormons, not only for JWs or whatever deception people are under, but the overall malaise of having institutionalized Christianity because you just so happen to be in the Bible Belt or something. We want to have true born-again relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's the most important thing, that people would be born again. And, and before I get into the 2% of millennials having a biblical worldview, according to George Barna, Barna's recent study, I wanted to talk a little bit about COVID-19 and the fear of death. Because as of right now, I think probably about an hour ago from me recording this, it was announced that President Trump and Melania both tested positive for COVID-19. And so, and yes, I don't know if you guys can hear that, but there are some really loud coyotes over to the left of me. But nonetheless, guys, we have are the President of the United States testing positive here. And so something I wanted to talk about, more or less, obviously we pray that he wouldn't um, have any sort of health problems that would really hinder him uh, over this and that he would come back stronger than before. And, um, you know, we pray for that, as uh, of course. But we also want to look at that and say, 
a lot of people, first of all, I'm sure a lot of people are just loving the fact that he got it because people are wicked and they have wicked hearts. Um, but one of the things that I want to talk about is actually the fear of death because I do believe that the fear of death is an absolutely positively wonderful way. I know that sounds terrible to say, but a wonderful way to point people to Jesus. And I say that because only if you have Jesus can you have a fixed hope. Only if you have the Lord can you know exactly where you're going. Only if you have the Lord can you have full confidence when you go before him that it is not of you and your works and your garments and your sacraments, but ultimately only because of what Jesus did on the cross that you can be saved. So I want to talk about that because that's the most important thing that we would have confidence in our salvation because when we have confidence in our salvation, it's not because of us. We aren't confident because of ourselves. We are confident because of who Jesus is. So we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter or finisher of our faith and recognize that we can have full confidence when we stand before the judgment seat only because he covers us. He said the words to Telestai, paid in full, bought and paid for. I'm a blood-bought believer, born again, and I know it and I trust it because I can have full faith in the God who saved me. And this is really, really important, and I wanted to talk about it in light of evangelism because that's what we're out here doing. We're out here sharing the gospel, trying to help Blessed Hope Texas build its church. And one of the most important things to me is for us to recognize that once we understand that we have that fixed hope, and we do and are obedient to what Second Peter says, that we need to make our calling and election sure. We need to make sure we know we're saved. If somebody asks you if you're saved and you say, I don't know, I'm not God, you're not saved. And maybe if you are, you're confused and you got to be really careful about that because we don't want to be disobedient to the fact that God has made, told us to make sure we know we are called and we are part of the elect, that God has made sure to tell us very clearly that we should test ourselves to see if we are in the faith. These things are so unbelievably important that we do these things and we recognize with full confidence who Jesus is. And that we can have confidence in his death, burial, and resurrection. The fact that he's not just an angel. The fact that he's not just a man. He's not just a prophet, as false cults and religions teach. The fact is, is that Jesus is God. And Acts 20, 28 says that the blood of God purchased the church. Our God, he purchased the church with his own blood. And so... Because of that, I can have confidence. And guess what? I can share that with somebody who maybe has a fear of death. Proverbs 14.27 says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, that one may avoid the snares of death. That's exactly what we are doing. We will not be harmed by the second death. In fact, all we will do when we die, if we know the Lord, is that we will simply leave here and go to be with Him. And we will always be with the Lord. To be absent of this body is to be present with the Lord. And I just want to make this clear to you guys. This is something that we can use when we are sharing the gospel. This is something that we need to have full confidence in so that when I go out, I know full well what would happen if I got hit by a Mack truck. I need to know those things. So often we, we recognize all of these other apologetics and things that we need to be able to express truthfully from God's word. 
But we forget that it is God himself in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 who said that he placed eternity in our hearts. I know that plenty of men and women sear their conscience as with a hot iron, but one thing that God has placed in our hearts that just nags at us over and over and over again is the fact that death is waiting for us. A hundred out of a hundred people will die at some point in their life. Now, I know you may say, well, yeah, there will be a rapture one day, Enoch, Elijah, but yes, you understand the principle. The fact is, is that you're going to die, <laughs> okay? You're going to die, and so is the guy next to you. And not only should that be something that pushes you towards wanting to share the gospel, but it's also something that should make you say, hey, I don't want that person to go to hell. If there's anything in this world, if there's any text of scripture outside of knowing Jesus our Lord, which should be more important than anything, and because we know him, we have confidence in him, but outside of knowing him is looking and recognizing, and especially if you go and look look at Luke chapter 16 with Lazarus and the rich man, and you see the agony he's in. And by the way, if I could give you an analogy here, he's only in jail. The prison sentence hasn't even come yet. He's only in the obviously tormenting part of Hades or Hades, and eventually Hades and death are thrown into the lake of fire or hell, which are synonyms for each other. And when that happens, that's when the judgment comes. And as it's very clear in Matthew 25, 46, that there are those who go to eternal life and those who go to eternal punishment. And this is something that is eternal. So that should drive us in sharing the gospel. That should drive us to say, I will crawl over broken glass to make sure this doesn't happen to you. I have confidence in death because I know the Bible is true. The Bible says that death came into this world through sin. And I know that sin came and killed every single man. And so we have to recognize that God has dealt with that sin. And he's dealt with that sin in the person of Jesus Christ who conquered the grave. And so we can have confidence in the afterlife if I gave you the most succinct, short answer of why I can know is because I know someone. Why do I know anything about the afterlife? Because I know someone who told us he was going to die, died, and then rose again and told us everything about the afterlife that we need to know how to be saved, how to follow him, and what would happen once we get there. We are told that Jesus right now, he said it would be better that I leave and send the Holy Spirit, and that right now that Jesus is going and preparing a place for us. I think there's the Keith Green song, right, that he said that if Jesus, uh, I'm, I'm totally going to butcher it, but I'll try my best. But basically, if God created the heavens and the earth in six days, imagine what he's been doing for the last 2,000 years. Amen? That's our God. That's my king. I get, I get to follow that and trust in that. You know, and it's funny, when it comes to death, it's something that bothers everybody. And I think that people do everything they can to avoid it. In fact, even uh, the famous philosopher Plato, he said that all of philosophy is actually the preparation of death. And I've seen how philosophers who are atheists and humanists and so forth, that they've tried to get around like, hey, let's give our life meaning. 
Let's give our life meaning. In fact, I listened to a guy from uh, Philosophy Magazine, Jeff Macy, he says, Obsessive rumination on death, on the other hand, can lead us away from life. Honestly, coming to terms with one's death involves reflection on its significance in one's life and thinking about the larger values that give life its meaning. In the end, it is useful to think about death only to the point that it frees us to live fully immersed in the life we have yet to live. And I think that is absolutely horrific advice. I think that is just whimsical fairyland. To sit here and say that death should make us live, and basically this was a philosophical way of saying YOLO, you only live once, it's embarrassing that this is what you have to come up with. And I know that Jeff Mason had uh, been diagnosed with cancer, and I know that uh, there, there have been those who have said when it comes to death that, you know, it's one of those things we suppress, we try not to think about, we avoid as best we can. But then as soon as something happens, as soon as death is at the door, it's like he's an elephant in the room and he never leaves and he breathes on your neck and he stalks you. And this is something that, guys, we need people to recognize. Something that we pray all the time, and I'm telling you, we've been praying a lot and doing a lot of worship together. We're literally right outside the fire where everyone was just a, just an hour ago or so. And one of the things that we pray over and over when we go out witnessing is that the person we shared the gospel with cannot sleep until they come to Christ. I pray that they're in, they're, they just can't think. They can't stop thinking. Um, they can think. They can't stop thinking about Jesus. They can't stop thinking about the conversation we had. Whether or not they came to faith when we shared the gospel with them, one thing I hope that even for those that are argumentative and bring a bunch of questions and stuff, which is great, questions are great. Some guys are just asking them to ask them. But when they're having all these questions and you answer them, I always pray that maybe the next time they go to ask someone that question, they go, eh, I already know the answer to that. I can't use that anymore. You know, maybe they think, you know what, these aren't really good arguments. Or maybe when they go to sleep at night, they know what they said was true and it scares me. And instead of being afraid like I was when I first was thinking about these things that if there's an evil, there has to be a good, there has to be a lawgiver if there's laws, and understanding there's a God, the thing that scared me about, about there being a devil, a real devil, was that there was a God. And that was frightening to me. But then falling right back into the arms of Jesus when I recognized very clearly just as he says in Ezekiel chapter 18 in both verse 23 and 32 that he does not desire, his not desire is not that we should simply die. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, rather he would turn and live. And in 2 Peter 3, 9, I would parallel with that, which says he is not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. That's our God's heart. And he doesn't want us to be fearful of death. He wants us to have confidence in the fact that when we go, we are going to be with the Lord and we will always be with the Lord. Even so, amen. That's exactly what we want. We want to be with the Lord. We want to be able to share with people that death is not simply something that makes you live this life. Death should be something that makes you recognize that this life doesn't end because your heart stops beating. That there is an afterlife. And we know this full well because we have a savior who conquered the grave. Now that's really important and I wanted to get that out. But I want to talk about a story that was recently out because Barnett Group has done another study and I'm going to read from it because it's pretty sad. It said the 10th installation of the nationwide American Worldview Survey conducted by Dr. George Barner and the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University found that most millennials don't have a biblical worldview. They are less likely to believe in absolute truth, 
I wonder if that's absolutely true. Uh, to value the sanctity of human life, I'm sure they're okay with murdering babies that's been pushed down their throats for most of their life, or trust in the Bible as the inerrant Word of God. Quote, We've always sensed that the culture has been pulling the next generation away from biblical values and truths many were raised with. University President Len Munsell said in a statement, The study is more confirmation and illustrates the necessity of preparing young Christians with a heart to transform their generation with biblical truth. Now, I want to point that out. That's something we talked about in a recent episode on the Good Fight Radio Show, and it had to do with homeschooling and a biblical case for Christian homeschooling. And something you know that I speak about a lot on this show is the fact that I do I am concerned with parents sending their children out to Rome and expecting them not to come back as Romans. Sending them to Caesar and not come back as Romans. And it's something that has always bothered me. And it's made me... Uh, and, I, and I, you know, you guys know me enough if you've been watching the show that I've taught wrestling at secular high school. I went to a secular high school for four years, obviously, and I also taught there for over 10 years. And I'm just warning you, why are we not raising our kids to know the Lord? And a lot of you guys are having to do distance learning anyways right now. And your kids are stuck there looking at a computer and basically your cl- their classes for two hours and they just do whatever they want the rest of the day. Guys, let's be serious about our learning. Let's be serious about our children. And at the very least, if you can't homeschool, maybe you're a single mother, a single father, or work, whatever it is, you're like, I, I can't do that. It, it just can't happen. You know, make sure you're still schooling them in the Word of God. Make sure that you are building that foundation for them because they are going to have a constant barrage. And guys, with cell phones, computers, and everything, they are going to be under a constant barrage when it comes to the secular worldview entering into their stratosphere and you need to without a doubt have them equipped for every answer the bible says in multiple places there's a word that's used it's elenchos it's used in both hebrews 11 and it's also used in ephesians chapter 5 and also in second timothy 3 16 and 17 and specifically the one i want to talk about is in second timothy 3 16 and 17 because in second timothy 3 16 it says for every word of god every scripture is theonustos it is god breathed and it's used for training correcting and righteousness but the word it uses for reproof is elenchos. It's the same word used in Hebrews 11 to describe faith. It is the evidence or substance of things hopes for. The evidence, the elenchos of things not seen. That's what faith is. Our faith is substance and evidence. Those are the two things that faith is. It isn't blind. It isn't I hope so. It's knowing what you believe and why you believe it. Jesus said he gave them many convincing proofs of his resurrection in Acts chapter 1. And we use the word of God for that evidence. We use the word of God to be able to reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. We do this so that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. And the only way to do that is to have the Word of God in your heart. Have it memorized. Be ready to share with people. 2% of millennials, I'm sure that's not indicative of all millennials being 2%. I know it's bad out there, but I can tell you that I had more than 2% in my own little anecdotal evidence of of young kids um, who had a biblical worldview and still do. In fact, I have a ton of millennials here with me right now that all have a biblical worldview. I want to read a little bit more from the study because it is is pretty sad. 
And it says this, as previously reported, the center surveyed 2,000 adults at random in January for its American Worldview Inventory Study, interviewing those of all ages, ethnicities, beliefs, and political persuasions on the telephone online. It found a significant difference between the beliefs of millennials, 18 to 36, and those of Generation X, 37 to 55, and baby boomers, 56 to 74. For instance, millennials are 15% points less, le or I'm sorry, 15 percentage points less likely than Gen Xers to say that to treat people the same way that you want to be treated, and are 28 points less likely than baby boomers to embrace that approach, which is just ridiculous. The golden rule. I mean, come on, man. And despite trumpeting tolerance, the millennials are adamantly less tolerant of those who are uh, different than themselves. Further, millennials also stood out as a generation that is most likely to acknowledge that they are committed to getting even with those who wrong them. In fact, 28 percent point percentage points more likely than baby burners to hold a vengeful point of view. And a biblical worldview would say what? We would say that we would pray the Lord's Prayer. Father, forgive us our, our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And that right there, that part of that prayer, is the only part that Jesus gives commentary on, where he specifically says, if you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven. And I do, both I do believe that the act of unforgiveness as a whole is something that takes place when we do not understand the depth of our own sin. When we understand the depth of our own sin, it should be easy for us to recognize and then forgive others. When you see that the sins that you committed were those that you committed specifically against your Creator, and you committed them over and over again in heart, in mind, in deed, He made laws and you broke them, and you did this to the creator of the universe, then what takes place is that you recognize that the sins that someone else may have done to you, maybe those aren't as bad. Maybe it's something that it should be to your blessing that you overlook a sin. In fact, that is love. That we don't hold those burdens against someone. That we keep no record of their wrongdoing, but the fact is, is that we take upon ourselves the burdens of others and therefore fulfill the law of Christ. That's our goal as brothers and sisters. And I want to give a couple of praise reports because I think we got about five minutes left. And so we've been sitting out here and you guys are out with me and listening to a little bit of ramble on here at two in the morning here in Texas time. And this will be uploaded in a few hours, but... You know, I, I love the, the, the group we've had here, and I do hope to meet some more people from Texas that you guys come and visit with us and even come down. We've had some people meet us down there and share the gospel with us down on the streets. And guys, I love these little home groups that we have going, and I love to get to know you guys. And we are all about sharing the gospel, and I believe if you, if you want to have church growth, if you want people to grow in the Lord, and let's say, let's just talk about church growth. If you want to have church growth, I think there's two major ways that that should be happening. These are the two major ways, and I think the third should be a distant third. First and foremost, your church should be continuously made up of new converts. The Bible tells even the pastor. So if you're going to shepherd a church and be an elder uh, of a church, it tells you that you don't just have, you can't just be a pastor. You can't just teach. 
it says you need to also do the work of an evangelist. And I believe you need to go out there and share the gospel and be absolutely a wonderful example to your congregation. And I'm blessed to say that Pastor Joe Schimmel is just the, is that exact thing, a blessing to the body of Christ, because he is one who is an evangelist and goes out and shares the gospel. And I believe you want to build your church in new converts and continue to build your church if you want church church growth with new converts. You should not go door to door, and I believe that was Robert Schuler asking people what they want to be taught on. That's not what you should be doing. You should be teaching the Word of God. And the number two, I believe, you know the Lord, you raise your kids in the Lord, you have children, and then you continue to raise them in Jesus and they become part of your fellowship. And I believe number three is churches that are, people that are at churches that are heretical, um, people that are at churches, maybe they're involved with Bethel to some nature, maybe they're involved with Hillsong, you know, something you bring correction and they don't take to that. And you say, man, I, I got to find somewhere else to go. Uh, maybe it's something where you're coming out of, and then that's probably you getting saved. So you're the new convert in that scenario. Maybe you're coming out of you know, stuff that's that's false teaching. I talked to a guy from Texas and he said, first he got saved at a new apostolic reformation style church that was all about Bethel. Then he started reading the word and going to the pastor and saying, hey, this doesn't line up. And then next thing you know, he's out of that church. And then he goes to a church that teaches Calvinism. And he says, yeah, that this isn't it either. And was there for, I believe, three years. He said, this isn't it either. It's just pendulum swinging. You know, and he said, you know what, I, I'm going to go to seminary, I'm going to teach, I'm going to I'm going to start a fellowship, and I'm, I'm going to start at my home, and that's where he's been starting. And that's something, that's another thing, you know, build your, build, be built up in the Word and say, how can I serve Christ? But, you know, I think ultimately, guys, we want church growth, and we want church growth to be that of a biblical nature, that wives are in the house as best as they can be, that they're watching over the children, uh, they're, that they're, they're helping out when they can, that we're taking care of as the church, the orphans and the widows, that we're taking care of the poor, that we're sharing the gospel, and that we'd be not only light and salt in this world, but that we'd, we would follow the commands of Jesus, and that we'd go out preaching the gospel to every nation, kindred and tongue, baptizing in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This has been Chad Davidson, and this is the 511 News. The 511 News with Chad Davidson has been brought to you by Good Fight Ministries, bringing you news and commentary from a Christian perspective. This show can be heard every Friday wherever podcast shows are available or visit 511news.org. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to being with you next week on the 511 News.